The following is a message from Pastor Kelly Hewitt and Live It, a ministry of St. Marcus. For more information or for message notes, go to www.liveitmke.org. going to give you a moment here because I have a really hard question, and I want you to honestly be able to answer it. I'm going to ask the question, then give you 30 seconds to answer in your own brain, maybe a minute. When was the last time you completely unplugged and rested for 12 to 24 hours? And by resting, I mean no phone, no Facebook, no social media. It was you and a book. It was you and a walk. It wasn't all of the duties of house and cleaning. It was truly 12 to 24 hours of rest. When was the last time you did that? Can you think of it? A couple of people shaking their heads yes. Most people saying I can't remember. How about this? When was the last time you were without checking your phone for 12 hours? Can you think of that in the last month? It's pretty sad, isn't it? So last week, a, a group of us, there's a small group of us going through a training session... And we had the challenge of doing a media fast for seven days. Seven days. No email, Facebook, Twitter, social media, anything beyond what was absolutely necessary for work purposes. No TV, no Netflix, no YouTube. One person said they had to have a friend put a password protect on all of their social media apps. Another person deleted all of their social media apps and accounts and confessed afterwards that apparently Facebook lets you know if you haven't logged in in seven days by email, since you obviously haven't been on Facebook. It's fascinating, right? We are so attached. We are so into people, and yet we don't take time to rest. We are not living sustainable lives. And as we do, as, as we're trying to understand what does the word sustainable mean, here's our definition for sustainable. Something that is, go ahead, that can be maintained over time and is defendable as a worthwhile endeavor. So this is the point where if you're a note taker, you're going to get your pen out and you're going to write that in on the blanks. If you're not a note taker, you're going to get the pen out and you're going to doodle a little bit. So I think you're doing something just like you did in class. It's Okay. I was the kid who never took notes. I just doodled the whole time. I was an auditory learner. As long as I was doodling and listening, I could repeat almost everything from the lecture. Something that, is, that can be maintained over time and is defendable as a worthwhile endeavor. So when you have to analyze your last week, if some of you want to pull open your phones right now, and we were to go to that nice little app did you realize your phone tells you how often you use it? If you go into the settings, there's a setting on both Android and Apple devices that will tell me how many hours 
each app has been used in the last time since it has restarted? How many of you want to let me see that app? Thankfully, my phone just restarted and I got a new one. So mine says, a lot, it says nothing. I haven't been on. But you take a look at that. You look at your calendar. Is it sustainable? Is what you are doing in your life able to be defended? And is it worthwhile? And as we talked about last week, we take a look at our calendars and we take a look at what's going on. And sin has creeped in and, and so corrupted who we are as humans that we are running at a pace that is non-sustainable. If you've ever gone to a race, you will see that person who this is the first time they've ever run. And you're going to watch them. And they sprint the first 150 yards. And then you watch everybody who is a person who's done this a lot, and they just kind of jog past them. And they're at the finish line hours before that person. Because guess what? Our lives are a lot like that person who sprints off the blocks because we pack so much into it. And so tonight, as we're taking a look at this, we have to really realize that God hasn't designed our lives like this. Jesus has died for us. He has said, I have forgiven you, and I have a better life and a better way to live than you currently are living. I think when in Genesis, when all this took place and he wrote these things, he was really talking about us, 21st century Americans. I think he saw our calendars in advance and said, these people are going to need to hear this message because right now their lives are being sustained by so many things that are non-sustainable. And so here's the key thing that you need to remember for the next five weeks, and I hope that it becomes ingrained in you. Jesus' life frees us to live. The life of Jesus frees us to live a life of beauty and balance. The life of Jesus frees us to live a life of beauty and balance. Because guess what? Because he's done it all, because he's in charge, because he's forgiven us, because he's given us a new life, we don't have to be in that rat race. That's not where identity has to come from. And so we have to rethink. We have to recalibrate our thinking. We have to think in a different way. And it has to start by waking up and saying, Jesus has freed me to live a life full of beauty and balance. And so that leads us into where we're going to start tonight. And we're going to dig into Genesis chapter 2 a little bit. And I'm going to tell you as we walk through this series, especially the topic we're talking about tonight, I am walking as one who has desperately been trying to understand this in my own life. It's one that I've had a life coach who's been working on me for two and a half years to figure out, and I'm not there yet. Um, and so I'm not talking to you as, hey, I've got it figured out. This is the right answer. I'm talking to you as one who's in the midst of this, trying to figure it out with you, trying to figure out how God's word fits into my life and helps me figure out this entire concept. And so that's where we're going tonight, and that's where some of the stories you're going to hear, that, that's me. It's things that I'm struggling with. And so here we go. We're going to jump in Genesis chapter 2. If you want to open your Bibles, have it there so you can underline and circle. If you want to open your U version, you can highlight and take notes right in there, and then you have them wherever you are. But we're going to jump to Genesis chapter 2. If you remember from Hebrews, it said, Somewhere it is written about this Sabbath day. Well, this is the somewhere it is written that the author to the Hebrews was referring to. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from the work of creating that he had done. So what did God do on the seventh day? God, God rested. He didn't go, great, I'm not at work, so now I'm going to go do all my home chores. That wasn't his 
word. His word was, here's the, here's the fancy Hebrew word. Sabbath means rest or to cease movement, to cease action. Some of you have Jewish friends. It's called Shabbat. Sabbath. If you go to Israel, all of their elevators on Shabbat stop on every floor. All the doors automatically open when you get there so that they don't have to work. There's something the Jewish people still have in that ancient ritual that really is something we really can learn a lot from because they take this passage and they say, guess what? What did God do on the seventh day? He he ceased doing Who created us? God. Who created humankind? God, right? We are his creation. You know, for so much of growing up, you have this picture that, hey, God, God is this, this, this perfect guy, but why did he rest? Have you ever stopped to ask that question? Why did God rest on the seventh day? Was it because he was out of shape? Why did Jesus take time to go to the hills to rest and to pray? Was he out of shape? He's perfect. There's a piece of this as you look at it, as we dig into his word, that perhaps one of the things God is doing for us here is he's laying out a model. Sometimes he does that for us. Sometimes he tells us the model, and sometimes he shows us the model. Because some of us are learners who learn by doing, and some of us are learners who are so stubborn that the only way we'll ever figure it out is if somebody actually shows us how to do it, and then we're going to go, okay, if that person does it, then it must be okay for me to do it. And so he says, here's the deal, folks. Every week, I'm going to give you a holiday. Because that's what a holy day is. Holy day is the English word for holiday. And so that's what he says. I'm going to make the seventh day holy. So God said, once a week, I'm going to give you a holiday. What do you do on a holiday? What do we do? What's your plans for Memorial Day? I know it's, you know, 21 days away. That's a long way away to make some plans or whatever it is. But what are you planning to do? What's the typical? Hang out at home, grill out, go fishing, hang out on the beach. What do you do on a holiday? You rest. So what does God say? I've given you six days to work and one day to? Somebody want to do the math? What's the, what's the math? What's the percentage? I actually did it this time. A little over 14. It's 85% of the time you work, 15% of the time you rest. Is that what your life looks like? Now, that's not working at a job, but that's that picture of, are you resting for 15% of your week? Truly resting. Not resting by saying, I'm doing household chores. But truly resting. But there's a problem with us. There's a problem in our society. There's a problem that since creation... And since the fall, the fall took place in chapter 3, and since then everything God created has gone cattywampus, and, and we're living in this world of sin, and so work overtakes our lives. And I'm going to propose to you there's, there's three reasons why work overtakes your life. And you can agree with me or disagree with me by the time we're done, but I, I, I've seen it. I've seen these three things happen. First one, the hours of work increase. Since you started working, when was the last time you worked less hours? With each job, you work, how, you work what? More hours, right? 
you move further up the food chain. You know, you're a high school worker, you can only work so many hours. Why? A, the government says so, and B, the place doesn't want to pay you that much. And so when you're on the bottom of the food chain, you work only a set number of hours, and so you might work two jobs. But you're really only going to, according to uh, Barna and according to the Gallup poll, you're only going to probably cross the 47-hour mark. That is until you hit salary. As soon as you hit a salary job, the average goes to 50 to 70 hours a week. How many of you work in 50 to 70? Okay. And so we end up with this hours of work increasing. And so instead of having this 40-hour week, have you, if, you ever, if you haven't worked 40 in a while, because you're working 50 to 70 or more, try it. I did it two years ago. I was done by Tuesday at noon. That was great. I'm like, what do I do with the rest of my week? I ended up clocking more hours because I didn't know what to do with myself. Why? Because hours of work increase. And there's this whole perspective within us that says, if I'm going to have the next perspective of job, I'm going to work up the food chain. I have salary. As a salary, certain things are expected of me. I'm going to go the extra mile. Why? Not because it's required, but because I'm now salary and I think I need to do more. Why? So I can get the next bump. People who are in high-powered High-paying jobs are there because they put in the hours. If you want to have power and prestige, you want to be the doctor, you want to be the lawyer, you want to be the high-paid business person, guess what? You're not going to work less than 80 hours because that's what it takes to have the power and prestige. And so we increase our workload and we increase our hours. Go back to last week. When we increase our work and we increase our hours, That means we end up with increased stress. Increased stress means we end up having relationship issues. Relationship issues means we end up filling our lives with different things. You see the spiral, right? Second thing, what happens? Our boundaries of work disappear. How many of you have boundary issues? You don't need to confess. Okay, how many... I want you to answer this in your brain. When was the last time you checked work email when you weren't at work? When was the last time you checked work email in the middle of a family function? Because you felt that it was so important that you had to respond. You were so critical to the situation that that email was more important than the hot dogs and the lawn games. Right? That's hard, right? That's really, really hard. Because it would be one thing if, it was our, jo- if our, our bosses expected it of us, but there's something wired, cross-wired in our brains that's wrong that says, I can't stop. And so we're so addicted. Why do you think our boundaries have disappeared? What's the number one cause of boundaries disappearing? What's the number one reason? in your pocket. Your phone. It's linked to everything. You can't go anywhere that somebody doesn't know where you are. Google knows where you are at all moments. And so if your boss uses Google email, guess what? Your boss can track every movement you make if you're logged in on your smartphone. Because we have no understanding of boundaries. We have no understanding that God said for six days he will work and the seventh he will rest. We have no idea because guess what? Our sinful nature says, I need this. My identity is now wrapped up in this. And so that goes to the last one. Our identities 
It is our identity. Who we are as a job, what our role is, is defined as our identity. So, put that into perspective. When the last time you met a new person, name, where are you from, what do you do, right? Because that's how I'm going to judge who you are, what your identity is, is based on what your job is. And by the way, what your job is and how your identity is based in that says, hey, I want to be known when I die. I want to be the guy who's known by everybody. I want my name on the side of a ballpark so that everybody knows that's who I am. I want to be significant. And so the only way I'm known as significant is through my job, how I work, either through the amount of money I make or the amount of money I give away, the amount of hours I work. My boss knows me as that's the good worker. My identity is completely and utterly wrapped up in how many hours and what job I do. Some of you are really struggling with this, and this is pretty heavy. Because I'm one of those. I'm struggling right along with you. It's hard. That's who we are. The average number of hours that somebody in three years of employment has, for, or number of weeks of vacation, is 21 days of vacation. The average person working in the country right now has 21 days of vacation. How many days of vacation do you think they actually take? 16. You're being paid to take time off. Your company recognizes that you have to be away from the job site. And yet we refuse that because why? We are so important that if we aren't there, everything will fall apart. So the studies came out along with how many hours we work and how many hours we do, or days we don't take off. And this third study came out that said average people who work 10 hours or more become less productive after seven. Your productivity becomes half of what it was for the first five. Anything after seven. So think about the last time you worked a 12-hour day. How productive were you in that last four hours? There's a reason. Because doing without rest is not God's will for your life. He knows that it is not sustainable. He knows that that is not good for you. He did not design you to run with you at the red line. He did not design you to be somebody whose entire identity and entire person is wrapped up in the fact that you are just going, 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 and you just don't stop because guess what? I can't stop. This isn't God's will for you because he says, I love you. I love you unconditionally, unexpectedly, and undeservedly. And so when you wake up tomorrow, your identity is not founded in the fact of what you are doing, but in the fact that God has died for you. That his son says, I love you so much that this morning when you wake up, I love you. No matter what your job is today, I love you unconditionally, unexpectedly, and undeservedly. You have purpose and meaning in my life, is what God says every morning when you wake up. I've designed you to rest. I've designed you to take time. And this is really hard. And he knows that. And so in Matthew chapter 11, some of you, if you want to flip to Matthew 11, this would be one of those places where you want to mark it. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'm going to add more work. 
I got some of you to finally look up. No, he doesn't say that. What does he say? Come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. You know, when was the last time you saw this passage and you went, that's nice, God, but I'm not feeling it. But guess what? I'm not feeling it because guess what? I don't have time in my schedule to do what he just, I'm asking him to give me. Hey, God, give me rest. Oh, by the way, give me rest as you look at my 95-hour week this week. Because if you go back to last week, guess what? Relationships take two things. They take time on your calendar, and they take time in your mind. So how many times have we said, God, I'm weary, I'm burdened, I'm heavy, I'm, I'm having this problem, and I'm bringing it to you, but God, I don't feel you taking it from me. Because God, I want you to take it from me so I can keep running 100 miles an hour. Maybe he's giving you the anxiety, giving you the burden, because he's trying to tell you, guess what? You're a little fiat trying to pull a big boat. You're supposed to be pulled by me. You're not supposed to be trying to pull it all on your own. And you're burning out your motor, and you're going to end up just fried. And so he says, come to me, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and will fill and you will find rest for your souls. This is one of those pictures that's really hard to grasp because most of us aren't in um, farming situations where we see the Amish. But when he says, take my yoke upon you, yoke is that big barrel or round thing that would go around the neck of the animal that would actually then tether the animal to whatever they're pulling. And he says, take my yoke upon you. Here's the deal. You want to find rest. You want to understand and have your cares laid aside. First thing you have to do is stop trying to pull it on your own and to put my yoke on. Let me guide you. Let me lead you. I love you. I've sent my son to die for you. I love you unconditionally, unexpectedly, and undeservingly. And because I love you, I'm going to help you pull this load. And I'm going to only give you the load that you're supposed to have. And so he says, take this upon, oh, go back. Because this is, and I'm going to be gentle and humble. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My burden, here's his burden. Love me. Trust in me. Trust that I am the good farmer who's going to take care of you. And so go to the next. Now you can go there. He gives you rest for the soul so that you might rest from work. Those two are not disjunct. He doesn't give you rest so you can push harder in work. He says, I'm going to give you rest as you rest from your labors. You are a loved apart from your work. This passage was really hard, right? This whole idea of resting. I don't have time to rest. I don't have the ability to rest. Look at my calendar. What do I miss out? What do I drop? But here's the piece that ties the Hebrews to what we're talking about. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. A Sabbath rest. Those who find rest in God. When you talk about the third commandment, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. 
It doesn't mean you just have to only take Saturdays off. But it says this picture of saying, there's this Sabbath rest, this time where Christ has fulfilled it and he wants to give you this perfect peace and rest within your soul. And it says, for anybody who believes in him, there is this rest. For anyone who enters God's rest is also rest from his own works. Anyone who rests, anyone who enters God's rest, anybody who believes in God, anyone who trusts in Jesus, rests also from his own work, just as God did from his. He's telling you, here's the deal. You need to rest from your own labors. Because if you don't, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall. No one will fall away. No one will end up in hell because by following their example of disobedience, they're referring back to the Israelites, and we'll get to them in a moment. This is that picture. He says, here's the deal, folks. You think it's not harming your faith. You think that this is okay. And he says, no. He says, you're harming your faith life. There's unsustainable calendar. Your unsustainable, insatiable need to work is costing you faith life at times. That's hard. Here it is. Resting isn't just a busy issue or a calendar issue. It's an expression of your faith in Jesus. Unless you rest, you can't worship. Have you thought about that? When you're in the middle of that 17, maybe 15, 16 hour day, how often do you pause and reflect and worship God? You're doing, you're you're, you're in the zone, you're working, you're working hard. It's really hard to worship when there's no space to worship. So he says rest so that you can worship. Go ahead. And here's where we go back to where it all started. To, the, to Moses talking to the Israelites as they left Egypt. As the Ten Commandments were being given. Deuteronomy kind of explains them a little bit for us. And he explains why the Third Commandment, why Sabbath, why rest is so desperately important. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. As the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. So that goes back. Six days you what? Work. Seventh day is rest. All right? On it you shall not do any. It's a four-letter word. Neither you nor your son nor your daughter nor your manservant nor maidservant nor your ox, your donkey or any of your animals nor the alien within your gates so that your manservant, maidservant may as you do. This isn't just, hey, you, keep, you take off and everybody else gets to work. This is everybody takes off. Some of you who, who are in town here, you've gotten used to seeing Chick-fil-A. And the thing is, is you go out on Sundays and you're like, oh, that sounds great. Guess what's closed on Sunday? Do you know why? Truett Cathy believes desperately in this passage. Anybody of who, any of his employees, any of his managers who step foot in their, in their jobs, can be fired instantly for walking into work on Sunday. Even if it's because they left something there over the weekend. You don't show up to work. You don't open the door on Sunday. No deliveries are allowed. Nothing. 
it is a day off for everyone. Fascinating way that he, he tried to put that into his business practice. Go ahead. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, your Lord God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Here's what he's saying. Why, why do I give you a Sabbath? A, you need rest. But B, you were slaves for 400 plus years. And what was your worth? Your worth for 400 plus years was in how many bricks you could produce seven days a week, 365 days a year. And they called that being what? You were slaves. And so what what he's doing, what what the author of the Hebrews is actually doing when you look back at chapter 4 is he says, guess what? Those of you who say, I need to work seven days a week, those of you who say, hey, I'm that important, those of you who can't take a day off, those of you who can't turn everything off, he says to you, you are placing yourself back in slavery. And you are making work your God. That's a hard message. This whole, this whole series is really hard. Do you know why it's so hard? Because so many of us have, are so wrapped up in this. And it's so hard to get past. And what he says to us is he says, guess what? I am your God. I brought you out. I want you to look at that. He lays that out. The reason I've done this for you, I have freed you. I have bought you. I have made you mine. You've seen the power of my hand. You've seen that my son has now died for you, is what he tells us. He says, you have a new life. A new life that is every morning designed around the fact that I love you unconditionally, unexpectedly, and undeservedly, and that today your identity is completely and utterly based in me. So today, I want you to ask the question, how are you going to find time today to rest? Not based on the fact that you have to, but based on the fact that God says, I've given you this, I've created this for you, and I've won it for you, so that you may be free to live a life of beauty and balance. I've created all of this for you. So how do we go about this? First, it means you have to be sustained by the word. And what that means is you have to carve out a little bit of a margin in your life. And your first step to figuring out how to rest is to figure out how to fit a devotion in every day. That's step one. Step two, figure out how to carve three hours in the next week. I'm not giving you a full 24. I'm challenging you over the next month. So this week, your challenge is to get three hours of nothing. Your phone is off, your computer is off, and you are resting. And that doesn't count between the hours of midnight and six when you're sleeping. This is three hours of rest while you're awake, sometime in the next week. For me, it has taken me two and a half years to get to the point where I block out sections of every day. To be able to do this. And it gets to the point where sometimes you get an unexpected blessing like this morning. Late last night we got a text and somebody said, hey, you want to go have breakfast on a boat? Guess what today is? There's a lot going on. It's what day of the week? Sunday. Pastors work how many days a week? One day a week, right? It's my one work day. Sure, I'm going to call four hours off and go sit on a boat. But it was one of those pieces where as I was prepping for this, that opportunity came up and I go, how do I say no? How do I say no? I've been asking God, God, help me take rest. Help me find time to pause. Help me find time to not be so engrossed in my phone and the emails and everything else. God, help me to rest in you, to be sustained by you, to be invigorated and, and refreshed. 
And I'm going to tell you, three hours out on a boat today, the only thing my phone was used for was some music so that we could just listen and have a good time. And I will tell you, we came back, and, you know, it's Sunday. I, I, my brain's clicking. But guess what? For three and a half hours, the only thing that mattered was my wife, my son, and the friends we were with, and just enjoying what God has given us. When you take a look at Scripture, God says, take that seventh day, work all of this time. But guess what? I've given you all these blessings. I want you to enjoy them. Why are you working if you can't enjoy the blessings he gives you through your work? And that's what he says. I'm going to bless you. Rest and enjoy me and enjoy the blessings that you have earned. So here's your challenge for the week. I want you to write these words down at the bo- in big, bold letters somewhere on your bulletin. Put them up there. First one. You have nothing to prove. You are a child of God. You have nothing to prove. He loves you, not because of anything you've done, but because his son died for you. You have nothing to prove for your value. Next one. You are mine, and I love you. This is God speaking. So if you need to put that in, in, in quotes in front of there. You are mine, and I love you. And the third one. Pause to rest in me. Pause to rest in me. May God give you the ability this week to find rest in him and rest from your labors. Amen.